All right, good morning. Man, I know God is doing something, and he's got something for us, because I got a story I got to share with y'all. I mean, he just won't let me get away from this story. So um, you, may not, you may not believe this, but over the holidays, I needed something, and it was time. And so every, there always comes a point when it's time, right? And it was time for me to get a new suit. And so I asked for Christmas for a new suit. Now, I know many of you don't see me dressed in a suit much, but my wife can vouch. She can verify that's what I wanted for Christmas. And when you order a suit, you don't just give them your measurements. You always got to try your suit on. So I went in after the suit was done to try my suit on. And as I walked into the changing room, man, I caught eyes with this guy. I come around the corner, and he is in the middle of the dressing room area with the trifold mirror. You know what I'm talking about? Everyone shake your head. This means yes. He's there in the trifold mirror, and he is trying on some new jeans. And he likes what he sees because he's doing this. He's going, mmm, mmm, oh, yeah, yeah. Young MC Bust a Move is playing over the intercom, and this dude is getting it. I come around the corner, and he is going at it until he sees my reflection in the mirror. And I'm there going this, holding my suit, like, what just, what just happened? Now, I know every lyric, well, almost every lyric, to bust a move, Young MC. I know that song. And I'm watching this guy, and I see him move immediately from in the club to, like, a slow dance, like, Like this, right? And he's looking back at me, and I go, just get it, man, you know? And I duck into this closet. I duck into the changing room for myself to try on my suit, and God immediately does this to me. You ever had that moment? You ever had that time where God just goes, and I'm in there, and I'm hanging up my suit going, what did I just see? And God goes like this, and he goes, that wasn't enough. And I went, what wasn't enough? So I start undressing. I go to put on my suit, my new suit. And he's out there trying on those new jeans. And God goes, you know almost every lyric to this song. And I said, what? What? Are you, what? And I'm looking in the mirror, sweating. And I'm like, this, this is not what I do. I don't just... Hit them with this is a jam for all the fellas trying to do what those ladies tell. I don't do that. That's not what I do. And he goes, yeah, but that's not enough either. I said, what? I'm looking in the mirror having a conversation with God as bead is coming down my face. I'm like almost in tears. I'm going, you want what? You want me to get out there, not only give the lyric, you want me to hit him with one of these? God, what? What? What are you doing? He goes, you need to dance with that dude. I was like, why do I need to dance with this guy? I came up with, I, I said, that's going to be so weird for the dressing room attendant to come around the corner and see two dudes just getting it in the middle of the dressing room, you know? And so I put on my suit and I had this moment where God goes, am I God or are you God? 
so I sheepishly opened that door. And I started to walk out, hoping I'll catch this guy's attention, dreading what's about to happen. And he's gone. He's not there. And I breathe this sigh of relief, like, man, maybe I missed it. Maybe God didn't want that. And I got off the hook. You ever been let off the hook before? And you breathe that sigh of relief, you're like, man, I don't get to act the fool. And God goes, I created a moment for you. Are you capitalizing on the moments God is creating for you to worship him and not yourself? See, in that moment, what happened was that dude was really excited about his new jeans. And he looked in that mirror and he liked what he saw in those new jeans. And when he saw me, he felt the need to become dignified again. Because I'm in there trying on a suit and my response was probably not encouraging And he walked sheepishly back from that party in his new jeans to something that was probably more politically correct, something more socially acceptable. And I just said, get it, dude, you know, because that was more socially acceptable for me. It didn't bring me to a place of embarrassment or bring me to a place of just humiliation before the dressing room attendant. Because who throws a party like you're in a club in the middle of a dressing room? Apparently, (laughs) and so I say all to say that we're turning the corner in chapter 2 of Galatians, and today is a different kind of passage, so it's going to be a different kind of day. Like, that story is one that's different for me. Because here's the thing, last week, Scott brilliantly took us through the first 10 verses of chapter 2, where he Paul is writing and he's affirming that he subjected himself to all the apostles. He went to the Jerusalem council and he's telling the Galatians about that. That he went to look to Peter to affirm his knowledge of the gospel and his call. But then in verse 11, we see something really different happen. Last week we talked, last week Paul was trying to affirm that he had this right. The week before, we learned that we have to change our perspective to get God's perspective on the thing if we're going to be truly free. And so he's telling the Galatians that he is here to fight the lies that are in them, the legalism that's in them, the the living as dignified that's in them. And he's trying to tell them it's okay to be undignified. It's all right. And then they have Judaizers coming against him saying that Paul's not really an apostle. You shouldn't listen to Paul. Paul may have helped you form and birth and has led you as a forefather, but he's not really an apostle. He wasn't one of the disciples of Jesus, so he doesn't count. And in verse 11 starts a dialogue where Paul even begins to affirm further just the authority that God has placed on him. And it's a message that I've entitled, Don't Be a Hypocrite. And i got to tell you, it's difficult To walk away from our hypocritical tendencies sometimes. Have you ever considered just how much you allow your response to life, to God, and to people be dictated by what others might think? Hello? Have you ever considered how much you allow your behavior to change just because the crowd changes? For worry that they will not approve. 
So looking at Galatians 2, verse 11, it says, When Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. First 10 verses, stop for a second. First 10 verses are, I subjected myself to Peter and his approval of me and the affirmation that I had the gospel of Jesus right. First few verses of chapter 11. He's telling the Galatian church of a time where he stepped to Peter and called him out on hypocrisy. He says, when Peter came to Antioch, I posed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back. I want you to circle that word, draw back. Began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles. Because he was afraid, I want you to circle that word afraid, of those who belonged to the circumcision group, the Jews. And the other Jews, because Peter did it, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by hypocrisy even Barnabas, the one who was with me, was led astray. Verse 14, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, underline that, make it a big, big point, bold it if you can. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas or Peter, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth are not sinful Gentiles. Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews are found, we find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For though the law, for through the law I died, and the law, so I was, excuse me, for verse 19, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. Verse 20, key verse, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for its righteousness. Could be gained through the law. Christ died for nothing if that was the case. First point Paul confronts Peter's hypocrisy. I want you to look at this in verse 11 and 12. It says, When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, these men were not from James. Let me go ahead and throw that out. You can write it in your Bible. These men were not sent by James, they said they were sent by James. Peter and Paul were affirmed by James in their leading and their taking of the gospel. James affirmed what Paul was doing in Antioch. So these men were not sent by James. He used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he drew back, separated himself from the Gentiles. Until this point, Peter has been dining with the Gentiles. He was told in Acts 
10, through a trance, through a vision, through a dream, your scripture may say, that there is nothing that is any longer unclean. He is free of dietary laws as Leviticus laid down for him. So as a Jew, he's able to eat as if he desires, whatever he desires with the Gentiles. The Gentiles were never under that law. They've always been free to eat. And it says that he ate with the Gentiles. We know that he was free to do that in Acts 10. But what do we notice here? It says that when these Judaizers, who claim to be from James, come down to Antioch, Peter begins to act like a Judaizer. He begins to draw back and do the politically correct thing amongst those who are more dignified than the Gentiles. Hello? How many of you have ever had your response to God, to life, to people draw back because of what others might think? How many of you have ever found yourself draw back? And so he is afraid of what the Judaizers might think of him, so he draws back and he starts looking at his mirror, himself in the mirror a little bit more like a slow dance than he would a full-on night in the club. And so we cannot go back. Paul steps up to Peter and he says, You're the greatest of all the New Testament apostles. You're the most revered. I came to you. I subjected myself to you. If anybody here is respected, it's you. Did you see what you just did? The moment you drew back, the others who'd been converted from Judaism, they started to draw back. Even Barnabas started to draw back. And now the Gentiles who are watching you not only are hurt, they have hurt feelings because All of a sudden, you were throwing a party with them, and they were good enough for you, and now they're not good enough for you, but now they count you amongst the sinner because you've sinned against God and who he's called you to be and them. Wow, Justin, you got all that from that? Yes. So Paul says, look, if you want to question my my apostleship, you want to question that authenticity, I want to share with you about the time where I loved Peter enough to step to him and tell him to be exactly who he was. So I called out his hypocrisy and I said, you cannot choose people over God. That's out of order. You cannot choose to care more about what others might think, specifically those who are educated, those who are dignified. You can't choose to think it's more important what they think over what God has called you to do because your worship of God calls you sometimes to be undignified. Your worship of yourself will always cause you to preserve self. Hello? So you may come off as popular with the Judaizers, but you just offended your God who saved you. What's more important? When we choose what people think over what God desires, we're no longer worshiping him, we're worshiping ourselves. This is out of order. The first command was love him with what? Some? All. And so when I saw us move to a chorus that just sings we worship you, I knew God had something for us today in this room. Because I think we all have that tendency to go back. We all have that tendency to respond in fear and draw back when God just desires for us to come after him with our all. Completely. Not worshiping ourselves in self-preservation, but moving forward. Again, Paul says in verse 14, When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel... What is Paul saying? He's saying that I confronted Peter in love because he respects Peter too much 
to let him go backwards. He loves Peter too much to let him draw back to his old life and not walk in his new genes. He's trying to tell Peter, look, those new genes look good on you. You have every right to throw a party in the middle of his dressing room. Don't go back. Don't put them away. Make that investment. You should do it. And if anyone watches you, they should be dancing with you. Don't go back to that old way. You have a tendency to, I know that you want to save face, but don't do it. Because you're not, listen, you are not being yourself. You're being the old you, you're being Simon. But see, in Matthew 16, Jesus changed your name when you told him who you believed him to be. When you confessed in front of all the other disciples that he was a Messiah, he changed your name. And he said, I'm now going to call you Peter. And on this rock, I'll build my church. And I'm going to make you the leader to all these disciples. I'm going to make you the most revered of all the apostles. I'm going to make you the authority in the New Testament. And you cannot back away from that title when Jesus gives it to you. Amen? So you can't go back. Paul loves him enough to call him out. And he's saying, God intended you to be an apostle. God intended you to be a fisher of men, not some wayward fisherman. You were taught a trade. You can't run back to fishing now. You're called to be a fisher of men and to walk as he's called you. Paul confronts him in love because the Gentiles are following Peter. They felt accepted by him. The other Jews are following Peter. They're doing what he does. If so, if he is constantly drawing back and going back and looking back, and he's not willing to follow God with his all into the call that God has from his apostle, then the church suffers. The Jews who follow him are going to do just the same, just like it says here, Barnabas followed. And the Gentiles are going to hurt. They're never going to be freed by the gospel. Listen, church, if you are still in bondage to what other people think, then you are not truly free. Amen? So then we have to be able to remind ourselves by preaching to ourselves on a regular basis that I'm not to go back even when everything inside of me says it's far more comfortable. I'm going to get that breath and sigh of relief if I just go back. That's more comfortable. But God's called you out here into the wide unknown. There's things in you that he's put in you, the shape and the gift that he's given you that you're not even familiar with yet. You've got to trust him in that. But he's going to do powerful things for the kingdom if you walk as you're called in those new genes. Hello? And not, not cower back because someone might be watching. Can I say how important that is again? It's incredibly important that every person in this room and everyone who's listening online not cower back because someone is watching. So Paul confronts Peter quickly. He doesn't wait. Due to his influence, Paul calls out Peter as quickly as he can. And the irony here is that Peter reacts to this whole situation in Antioch, the, the eating with the Gentiles. He's, re, he's reacting in hypocrisy to save his own reputation amongst the Judaizers. But here's what Paul does, and this is where the church needs to take note. This is where we are to sharp one another. This is where we're called to walk with one another. Paul is fighting for the reputation that Peter's supposed to have amongst the church of Jesus. Hello? 
This new church is newly birthed. And so he's just led Barnabas and other converted Jews to do what he did and draw back. He's just led the Gentiles to feel like they can't trust this guy, that they're hurt now, and he's a sinner, that he's fighting for himself and not fighting for what the Lord has done in him. He's not being who he was, man. We were partying with Peter just a few days ago, and all of a sudden now he's acting weird. He's not coming around. It doesn't make sense. So Paul is fighting for the reputation of Peter. And he's telling Peter to leave Simon in the past. How many of you let Simon creep up just too much, too often? See, Paul is fighting for what Peter has been saved for. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. You were saved for something. This isn't just a, a, a lesson where we learned we were saved from something. Church, the power of the church and the influence as ambassadors we have in the, in, the, in the kingdom and in this present day in the world depends on you and I understanding that we were not just saved from hell. We were saved for him. Hello? We were saved to walk in those new genes, to dance in those new genes, to live a life that points to him one that is, makes us uncomfortable, maybe a little undignified. When we usher in the presence of God, which we do because he indwells all believers wherever we go, we're supposed to be okay no matter what people think because we're doing it as worship of one person, an audience of one. When, when David was asked to usher the presence of God back amongst the people in 2 Samuel, you can go back and read 1 and 2 Samuel, you see that God gave him a call to go get the ark of God, which represented the, the presence of God. In 2 Samuel 6, you see that he actually was able to do it. And what he does in this story is instead of standing outside in all of his kingly regalia, because he knew he wasn't worthy to be king, he, moved, he removes it, he puts it aside, and he puts on a linen ephod, which is the ceremonial dress of the priests, which is really who David was. He was a shepherd. He's a priest. He's a pastor. That's where he was when he was anointed as king. He's out with the sheep. And so he puts that on, and they do a ceremonial dance before the ark of God as it's being ushered into the city. And Michael, his wife, is up in the window of the palace looking down, and she's looking for David has trouble finding him at first because he's just blending in amongst the people. He's not standing out as the king. And it says she despises him in her heart. And then when David comes home in verse 20, it says David returned after the Ark of the Covenant is back amongst the people. Everyone is celebrating. The presence of God is with us. It says he returned home to bless his household. And Michael, his wife, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How can the king of Israel... How much has the king of Israel today distinguished himself going around half naked in full view of all the slave girls and his servants and any vulgar fellow? Every vulgar fellow would do that. You're supposed to be the king of Israel. Who do you think you are? What are you doing? You're just slapping God in the face for anointing you. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father. Or anyone from your house that he appointed to rule over the Lord's people. And I wasn't dancing for you. I wasn't dancing for the people. I didn't remove my royal robes for anyone but him. And so I will celebrate before the Lord. 
I'll become even more undignified than this, and I'll be humiliated in my own eyes if I so desire. If this is what he wants, but as for these slave girls you spoke of, I'll be held in honor because I'm going to worship him and point their eyes to him. Hello? It's important that the church dance in those new jeans because someone is always watching. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, listen, this is crazy. Verse 23, we've talked about the importance of childbearing in that day. It says, and there's a note that God wants you to get here. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. God closed her womb as consequence to her sin for calling out her husband, the king of Israel, for worshiping in an undignified fashion before the Lord and before the people, leading them to Jesus She got in his face and confronted the opposite direction and uh, God did something with her. There's a consequence for our sin and trying to lead people into sin. So Paul confronted Peter in his hypocrisy. He confronted him lovingly, he confronts him quickly and he does it because of this right here. Before I ask this, let me ask you this. Paul comes to Peter pretty quick because he needs to nip this. He knows the future of the church is hanging on this. He knows that people in Mount Juliet and in Donaldson are going to be worshiping thousands of years from now because of Peter's example, because someone was always watching. So he decides he needs to nip this quick. That's why he confronted him. How many of you have ever put off a confrontation you needed to have because you were just too scared? How many of you found yourself in that dressing room talking to yourself in the mirror, debating with God, justifying just why you shouldn't do this, hoping you get that sigh of relief. You know what I'm talking about? Just me? Ever put off a confrontation longer than you needed to or avoided it altogether as sin before your God because it was too hard? This is unhealthy and little comes from this. Last point, Paul confronts Peter's old life. He confronts his old ways. He calls him out because this is not who Peter's called to be. Peter right now in this moment is betraying Jesus. He's betraying the Gentiles. He's betraying the other apostles. He's betraying Paul himself. Because he won't eat what he knows he's free to eat. And he won't be found dining with sinners. And so, Paul says this. And I, I, I think that this memory is probably right there before Peter. Paul calls him out, and I kind of, this is not in Scripture, this is me. This is me wondering about this conversation a little bit. I wonder if Paul brought up that fact and that point in time when Peter denied Jesus in person. I wonder if he brought it up and he said, look, you betray, you're betraying the church. You're betraying the thing Jesus died for. You're betraying the the person that God has called you to be. And you've done this before, Peter. This isn't the first time. Remember when you sat with him in Luke 22 and he told you that you would deny him? And you said, never. I would never deny you. And he said, no, listen, tonight, three times before the rooster crows. And then you did it and he looked directly at you and you ran back to fishing humiliated, feeling that you were never going to be good enough to be the person that God made you to be, never going to live up to this calling as the Apostle Peter, the rock in which you'll build my church because now you've denied Jesus publicly. You're only worthy of fishermen. Fisher of men is now gone. That's what you believed. And then, so you ran back and in, in Luke 21, 
when you were trying to fish and you couldn't even fish. Remember that, Peter? Remember when you're sitting on the boat and you're like, John has followed you and some of the other disciples because you were their leader and now you're trying to teach them to fish and you can't even catch anything. And then some voice from the shore yells out, hey, throw the net on the other side. John goes, is that the Lord? You throw it on the other side and there's such a catch that you can't even haul it in. It's going to break the nets. And you ran out of that boat to the shore and you ran to him, but you couldn't lift your eyes to look at him because of your shame, because of humiliation, because the last time he had looked at you was at that crucifixion. And then he says something to you that only solidified your pain, your depression, your humiliation. He looks at you and he says, Simon, oh, it's true. He said it. Now it's true. I'm not Peter. I'm not the one he called out in Matthew 16 to be the apostle of the New Testament church. I'm not good enough. I'm Simon. I'm just the fisherman who betrayed him, and that's all I'll ever be worthy of. How many of you are thankful that's not the end of the story of John 21? Because he didn't stop speaking. He said, Simon, do you love me more than these? He wasn't talking about the apostles. He was talking about those fish. Peter gives some sheepish answer. And he goes, Simon, do you love me more than these? Yet another sheepish answer. Simon, do you, do you love me more than these? A sheepish answer. Then feed my sheep. I asked you a question in the only name that you would hear in your sin. And in your humiliation and in your thought that you are no longer good enough. I asked you a question that you could only hear because you've like put aside the new jeans I bought for you. And you're putting on your old jeans. So I needed to get your attention. I needed to ask you one time for every time you denied me. And then I needed to give you a mandate. Then feed my sheep. Because you are, Peter, the rock on which I'll build my church. You're going to give the greatest sermon ever given in the history of the church. And it's going to birth this thing so that people can be worshiping in Nashville in thousands of years from now. Peter, will you just accept the call? And God restores him in his most humiliating of moments. See, Paul confronted Peter because Jesus already had and he did it lovingly, he did it quickly. He was trying to call Peter to live as Peter and to stop looking back and stop drawing back into Simon. Listen, Paul only mentions this in Scripture because he saw Peter as the best of us. He said, you can't go back. You cannot give in to this. You can't go back. You have to walk forward. You cannot go back. Let me ask you, church, how many times do you get tempted to go back? He says, you cannot go back. So here it is. Paul says in verse 219, For though the law, through the law I died, and to the law I, so, I, I did that so that I might live for God. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. Simon was crucified, Peter, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and he lives in you. The life that you and I now live in the body. I live in the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me and called you out as an apostle, Peter, just like he called me out. I do not set aside the grace of God that it took to do all that. I don't just slap him in the face for what he paid for on the cross. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, 
and by acting in a dignified way amongst the educated and what peop- by the way that other people thought, then I would have followed that. But you need to also hear this, Peter, that Christ would have died for nothing. In Galatian church, who had your feelings hurt right here by Peter's response, you need to understand Christ didn't die for nothing. Hello? So this morning, we're to walk worthy of the call that God has given us. We're not to go back. We're not to be hypocrites. We're not to change our appearance or practices simply because the crowd around us has changed. I want to ask you this morning, are you capitalizing on the moment that God is creating for you to worship him, even if it makes you Look, humiliated. We all have to walk in faith and not by fear. And we all have a tendency to do it. Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever had a moment just like I talked about in the dressing room or just like Paul and Peter are having right here? You've had that moment before where you had a tendency to go back and just withdraw and do the politically correct thing. Had that moment. Hands raised. You're not alone. We all have this tendency We all have the sense to think more about what others might think than to respond in faith to the people that he's called us to be, to walk and dance in our new jeans versus just put the old ones on. Can I ask you this? Do you have someone in your life who loves you enough to call you out when you're tempted to look at your old jeans? Do you have someone who loves you enough, they're familiar with your old ways, they know your old ways, and they get in your face like Paul got in Peter's face here, and they say, no, I'm not going to let you do that. I love you too much. You're not going back. Have you given someone license in your life to confront you when you are acting the fool? And acting the fool isn't dancing in the new jeans. It's looking at the old ones. Do you have someone that you need to lovingly call out this morning yourself? Someone who has put aside the new and the walk in the old, and you've been putting it off because you're afraid of what they might think if you do it. But you need to love them. You need to love them quickly. You need to call out the person that God has made them to be from their life. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the blessed. Blessed are the peacekeepers. And man, can I just ask you, church, the church has been weak enough to fall for peacekeeping. Amen? Blessed are the peacemakers. Love them enough to be honest with them like Jesus did. As the the band is coming, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm going to ask you this one question to consider. As Jesus is here and the Spirit seeks you, just ask him this question and be willing to do whatever he says. Heavenly Father, what would you have me do? What do you want from me? How do I most worship you right now in this moment? In Jesus' name, amen. Look at me. One thing before I go. How many of you have ever been in moments like this and you've had a moment to worship Jesus stolen because you were more concerned about what others around you might think? You know what I'm talking about? Like in your heart, you were doing this, like fully abandoned, like unashamed, just hands up. But outwardly, you were kind of doing this. You know what I'm saying? Or maybe it was even this, like, God knows, it's in my heart. I ain't doing that in front of these people. You know what I'm saying? How many of you have ever done that? Like, like I've done that. And I gotta tell you, if you're the kind of person that's more like me that's less like this and just out there, when God calls me to get out there, I get out there. I'm actually someone that just listens to the words and find myself unable to even say words to him. Like, I don't even sometimes sing. I just sit there in silence. 
And I let him caress me as I hold him. And I let him tell me the things that are so important as I worship him. Because I forget anyone else is even in the room. Sometimes I sit down. It's just me and him. This morning, right now, church, this is a moment that's been created for you to respond to him. I don't know how he's going to call you to worship him right now. But no one else matters. How's he calling you to respond right now as we're led? In Jesus' name.